I hope you had a good fourth and uh, celebrated however you felt the desire to celebrate that. Um, I just need to know, was anybody here at some point in time when you're laying in bed praying for the neighbors to run out of fireworks? Um, <laughs> that was a, that's a prayer of mine almost every fourth. <laughs> oh God, let the money run dry at some point in time. Um, but uh, did get a good sleep and uh, I'm just glad I'm not alone in that. Um, and it's good to know that in this journey we are in with God, this relationship with God, what God has called us to do in this world, we're not in alone in it. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. As Jason mentioned in our beginning, we are returning to refocus on the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And we do this a couple times a year uh, to answer the questions, why do we exist as a church? What are we supposed to be doing and, and how are we to do that? What does that look like, not only individually, but corporately as the body of Christ? Scripture refers to the church as his body. It refers to the church as his bride. And what are we supposed to be doing um, as we gather? Uh, James Emery White writes that without a clear destination or goal, there can be no sense of direction and therefore one course of action is as good as any other. And that's not how we want to live our lives. That's not how we want to live as a church. We don't want to just try things and hope they work and hope they make an impact. We want to know we're doing what God wants us to be doing. We want to be aligned to His Word and His will. And so this morning we are checking out the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. We've been using this to help us fulfill our purpose. And the purpose at Harvest Hill is very simple. If you don't know it, I'm sorry, but here it is. Love God, love people. That's the purpose of Harvest Hill. We want to love God and love people. And we take it from the greatest commandments that Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And this commandment to love God is we are to love God with every fiber of our being. Everything we do, that's heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything that we are is to love God. Everything that we do is to show our love for God. And in the midst of loving God, we are to love people. The word neighbor means anyone that God brings into our life, that is our neighbor. It doesn't matter if we have differences. It doesn't matter if we agree on all things. They're our neighbor to which God has brought into our life, that we are to love them through the love of Christ so that they can see Christ coming out of us. The simplicity of the statement, love God, love people, sometimes though can lead to the question, what does that actually look like in our life? And so that's why we developed the heartbeat of Harvest Hill, to see how this looks and plays out in our life. Just as our hearts in our chest right now are beating and keeping us alive and having a healthy heart allows us to be a healthy individual. So having a healthy heart as a church keeps us alive and allows us to become a healthy church to actually be the church that the bible defines as a church and so the heartbeat of harvest hill is this meet jesus you cannot love god until you meet jesus now you are loved by god but you cannot love god back until you meet jesus in a relationship and the purpose of meeting jesus is to be in a relationship with god but that's not where christianity starts or stops See, a lot of times we can get stuck in that, well, I'm saved, I'm forgiven, I accepted Christ, but that's just the first step. God wants us to be in a relationship with Him, so we are to mature in that relationship with God. 
We are to know God more and we are to know His Word more and allow His Word to penetrate our hearts and to control our actions so we can in turn love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The only way I can do that is if I mature in my relationship with God and I become in awe of who He is and in awe of why He saved me and the image He created me in and what He wants me to do. As I mature in my relationship with God, God wants to use me. He wants to use His people. And this is something that I needed to know when I was younger because I thought Christianity was simply about going to church. But that's not it. God wants to use you. To, to be a minister within the kingdom of God, to be a part of the ministry, to be a part of His will, to be a part of what He is wanting to do in this earth. And as we do that, we multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we develop this heartbeat by looking through the Scriptures and seeing what Jesus did with the disciples and the individuals in His life. When Jesus began calling disciples, He began with this call, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Can you throw that up there, Ethan? Or, yeah, Ethan's on the computer. Follow me. So the, the invitation is, meet with me. Come, follow me, meet with me. I will make you, meaning they were coming to meet with Jesus, but he's going to make them into something they currently were not. That's maturity. That's what about we do in our maturing in our relationship with God. God is making us into something we currently were not, for the purpose, fishers of men. So you're going to be made and matured so that you will go out and be a part of the ministry and you will minister for the kingdom of God and then you will multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit which will be given to you. We also take it from the last commandment that Jesus delivered. We sometimes refer to this as the Great Commission, but it's actually a commandment. It's go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this morning, to draw out this heartbeat, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And what we're going to see in our text is the importance of living out this heartbeat, to love God and to love people in a world that is in desperate need to know the love that God has for them found in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a guy named, who do you think his name is? What is his name? Timothy. Yeah, see the Bible's not that hard. So he's writing to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was an individual to which Paul had been discipling. He had been ministering to. He had been allowing uh, Timothy to mature. And now Timothy finds himself as the pastor and leader at a church in Ephesus. This is the same Ephesus we encounter in the book of Acts. It's the same Ephesus to which we find the book Ephesians written to that Paul wrote as well. It's the same Ephesus that we find in the book of Revelation. Ephesus has a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of showing up within Scripture, because Ephesus actually has a lot of issues. And it's a subtle reminder to us that there is no such thing as a perfect church. If you're looking for the perfect church, you're never going to find it, and here's why. The church is made up of imperfect people representing the perfect holiness of God. And so within every church, no matter how beautiful it looks on the outside or inside, no matter what sort of things doing, every church has issues that can emerge because we are all wrestling with our sinful nature. 
And yet we make up the perfect, beautiful bride and body of Christ, the representation of Christ to this world, but we're not perfect. And so Ephesus, Timothy's in Ephesus, and he's leading these people, and he's trying to, to preach to these people and pastor these people. And as Paul's writing this particular letter of 2 Timothy, it's known as his farewell address to Timothy. Later on in chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, Paul was given this understanding that his time of departure is his time of leaving this earth. He knows that it's coming soon and it's going to be up. And so Timothy's no longer going to have Paul to pour into his life. And so Paul is, is giving Timothy these words of encouragement, these words of warning, these words of exhortation to drive Timothy to remain faithful to the ministry of the kingdom of God just as Paul has remained faithful. But what we see in our particular passage, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4, is the call to remain faithful, or what we call as the heartbeat of Harvest Hill, Harvest Hill, does not come without opposition. It is not going to always be smooth sailing in our meeting and maturing and ministering and multiplying. And so we need to take these words, the words of God, which were given to Paul, that we have today. So beginning in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll walk through this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming. When people will not endure with sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. So Paul is beginning by wrapping up his letter by reminding Timothy and reminding us whose presence that we are in and whose presence we are to represent. He's reminding Timothy and us as God's people who we are going to be accountable to. And he's reminding Timothy and us who we are to live for. We stand as God's people right now in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Think about that for a second. We right now, in this very moment, July 5th, 2020, are in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. And not just in this place, but when we leave this place, that's who we represent. We represent the presence of God and Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be called a Christian that I am a Christ follower, and so I am His ambassador, His witness to this world. So when they look at me, when they look at us as God's people, that's the presence they should see. That's the fruit that we are bearing. That's the image that they recognize. Now when it comes to the church, the church is the body of Christ. That's how Scripture mostly defines the church, as the body of Christ, meaning that the church is not a building. The church is not an address for the post office. The church is the physical representation of Jesus Christ to this world, and it is seen when God's people gather together in corporate worship to God. 
That's the church. So the church happens here. The church has happened at the Campbell's house yesterday. It's happened at the Tristan's house last night, I believe. People were gathering at your house, right? They didn't burn it down. Still there? Still there. Good. But the church is when God's people gather. When we gather together with other believers, we are representing the physical Christ to this world. And all believers and all non-unbelievers will be held accountable to the one who is to judge the living and the dead. Finally, as God's people, we are to live in conviction that one day that when this world draws to a close and Christ appears in his full glory and fully establishes kingdom among his people, that everything we have done has been fueled by the presence, the judgment and the return of Christ. That's who we are. That's how I love God and love people that I know that I am in His presence. I know that one day He is going to return and He is going to judge all people. And so I want to love Him and I want to love them so they can know the love of God through me. It's from this understanding that Paul issues this very clear command in verse 2. He says, preach the word. To preach means to proclaim and communicate. We preach the Word of God. And what is the Word of God? The Word of God is what God has spoken through His Spirit to men to write down to give to us. It is perfect. It is full authority. And so what we proclaim and communicate is what God has spoken to us and we proclaim that to a people who need to hear it. We communicate a lot of things, don't we? How many of y'all have communicated your frustrations in the last couple months? Communicated your concerns? Maybe your worries, your doubts. We communicate about the things we love, the things we enjoy, our hobbies. We communicate about athletes and sports that we enjoy and things that we're doing. We communicate all the time. Just before we started worship service, there were about 10 people sitting, sitting in the official back row out in the foyer communicating through their phones, through Facebook, social media, and texting. We communicate. That's what preaching is. Preaching is communicating, is proclaiming. But we aren't communicating something that is not vital. We're communicating the most vital message people need to hear, and that is that God loves them. Jesus Christ died for them. He rose again, and they can be in a relationship with God again. That's what our preaching is about. It isn't about having a pulpit. It isn't even about having a church. It's simply about presenting, proclaiming, and communicating the love of God into a world that needs to hear it. Now, in Timothy's world, his world is turning upside down. Timothy's church and community are turning away from the truth and they're chasing after man-made fictions. Now, if you want to be spoken what you want to hear, and not necessarily truth, then it doesn't take a very long, in-depth Google search to find it. If you need someone to pat you on the back and tell you you're doing a good job, you can find someone on Google that will tell you whatever you're doing is right. And if, if you don't like what you hear on the news, say you're a Fox News watcher, all you got to do is turn to CNN News and you can hear the exact opposite message. We live in a world that wants to tickle our ears and give us what Paul refers to as itching ears. That's the tickling of ears to tell you what you want to hear. This is the world and this is what we're seeing on the news and, and on Facebook. People want to hear what they want to hear and they're allowing that to drive themselves. Because if someone tells me whatever I'm doing is right, that means I don't have to change. But the Bible reveals that we all have sinful natures. 
And we live outside of the will of God, which means I have to change my action. I have to change my approach. I have to change my words and my thoughts and my, and my habits. In Timothy's world, people are wandering. They're turning away from the truth. And people do that today because truth isn't always what we want to hear. And truth isn't always easy to accept. And so in Timothy's world, people are turning to things that fit their agenda, that align with their views, that help support their opinions and their allegiances. But as God's people, we can't fall into this trap. We do not preach, proclaim, or communicate an agenda. We preach the Word of God. We preach the Gospel. Gospel means good news because it is only through the gospel to which people can meet Jesus. And that's what this world needs. Nothing in this world is going to change until people meet Jesus. And the reason we are to preach the word is because we have heard the word and many of us here have accepted the word and we know the power that the word has had over our own hearts. We know how it has changed us. But in order for people to believe in their heart and to confess with their mouth and to be in the presence of God, we, as God's people who call ourselves Christians, have to proclaim the message of God. In Romans we read, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? See, this preaching isn't confined to Timothy's church or the pulpit. It isn't even confined to when people want to hear it. But Paul says we preach the word to be ready in season and out of season there in verse 2. The instruction that Paul gives to Timothy and, and God's word is giving to us is not to wait until an opportune moment, not to wait until the conversation becomes convenient, not to wait for a favorable time, or not to wait until someone welcomes the word into their life. Rather, we preach the word at all times and in all places because as God's people, we are always on the job as His representatives. So we must take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us when we meet with people so that they can meet Jesus through our preaching and proclaiming. If we wait for a time when people are ready to hear God's word, we're never going to find that opportunity. One commentator wrote, we should realize the occasion is always seasonable for proclaiming the gospel. At the same time, we're not to shove it down their throat. Notice what Paul says after preaching the word in season and out of season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. To reprove means to correct. To rebuke means to warn. To exhort means to encourage. This is how the preaching of the Word should look like in our life. This is how we are, are allowing people to meet Jesus through us. We correct them from the direction that they are going. What direction are they going? Well, sin is taking them the opposite way of where God is. Sin separates us from God, and it will separate people from God for eternity. So what we're doing is we're correcting them in a loving, patiently way so they can understand the direction they're heading. It's not to point the fingers, not to yell at them, it's not to find a street corner and hold up a sign that they're going to hell. It's to help correct them. It's to try to steer them in the right direction. Think of it like a child. When they're going towards a hot stove, you, you steer them in the right direction. 
And then he says that we are to uh, rebuke them. We are to warn them. So we have to warn them. This is why I'm correcting you. Because the direction you're going, that direction of sin, the cost of sin is death. Death means eternally separate from the God who loves you. So I'm trying to warn you, don't go that way. And I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you that Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin on the cross. He rose again that you can be forgiven and be given eternal salvation. And so I warn them, I, I correct them, and then I encourage them in Jesus Christ that hope can be found. It's not found through the media. It's not found through anything. It's found in Jesus Christ. And then we do it all with complete patience there in verse 2. That word complete means great and exhaustible. Great and inexhaustible patience. Now for all my Wednesday Night Live children teachers, you know it takes great and inexhaustible patience. For all my teachers at school, you know it takes great and inexhaustible patience with kids. For anybody who has ever gone to camp with youth, you know it takes great and inexhaustible patience. If you've ever done a lock-in, what does it take? Great and inexhaustible patience. If we're involved in the ministry and sharing the gospel, it is going to take great and inexhaustible patience. We have to realize we're dealing with a life and death issue. We preach the word because we are proclaiming heaven or hell. Eternity is on the line. And so we do it with great inexhaustible patience. And we don't shove it down their throat. We realize when people reject the word that we preach to them, they're not rejecting our word. Timothy wasn't commanded to preach your word, Timothy. You were to preach God's word. So what they're doing is they're rejecting the word of God that is inside of us. And we may take offense to it, but it, they're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the fact that we want them to meet Jesus. But I must confess, I have had times where I have not had great inexhaustible patience because I'll be sharing the gospel with someone and I feel like I'm getting right there. Oh, if I just say that right word, if I just, if I just ask that right question, if I just point to the right verse, and so I keep... And all I do is I drive them away. They don't want to hear it anymore. They're done. I haven't shown any patience to them. I haven't shown any love toward them. I've shown that I have a point to prove. And that's not loving people. So we are to have patience. It's not about our word. It's not even our power. It's not about our ability. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that we deliver the word and we teach it. That word teach means to instruct. And it refers to doctrine. And we do it in this manner because Paul goes on in verse 3 and 4 says, The time is coming when people will not endure with sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and turn away from listening for, to the truth, and wander off into myths. And because Paul is telling me this is going to happen, and because I believe we're living in a world where this is currently happening, that's why it's so important for us as God's people to mature in our relationship with God. To preach the word carefully, faithfully, and with accuracy. But to do that, we have to be in God's word. Paul is telling Timothy and us that we need to preach and we need to teach with patient accuracy because we're going to be in a battle. We're dealing with a battle of the heart. And in order for us to remain faithful, 
we have to be allowing our heart to be filled with the Word of God. So we continue to mature in our relationship with God by growing in God's Word and understanding God's spoken Word. The greatest way you can protect your heart, your family's heart, your marriage's heart, any relationship you're in, your workplace, is that you immerse yourself in God's Word. Because the beauty of God's Word, when I understand God's Word more, I'm given the ability to understand God more. And when I understand God more, I begin to understand why this world is the way it is. And I love how Paul goes on here in chapter 4 to not dodge the opposition that is going to lie ahead for Timothy and to not to dodge the opposition that's going to lie ahead for us when we are meeting and maturing with God and proclaiming the Word. He goes on to say that people are going to turn away from listening to the truth. That word turn away in verse 4 means they're going to reject it. They're just going to put a wall up around. They don't want, they're going to stop up their ears and instead, they're going to wander off into myths. And that word wander means, it's a, it's a medical term in the Greek. It means to take a joint and to rip it out of socket. So, you ever pulled your back before? That's not fun. Shoulders, knees, hips, ankles. Anytime something's off, we feel it. And everything that we want to do, we're not able to do, at least not fully the way we think we should be able to. And, every, and sometimes things that we, we feel like we need to do, we can't because we know it's going to cause more damage. And this is the image that Paul is giving Timothy. He's saying there are people all around you that should be doing something, living their life a certain way, but they're wandered off. They're out of joint. They're out of whack. And as you look at them, Timothy, it should hurt you to see it happening. You see them wandering and why they do it in verse 3, it says they have itching ears and they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Back in chapter 3, Paul says what these itching ears will do. He says, understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, non, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now when Paul says avoid such people, these are the people that Timothy has just been commanded to preach the word to. So he's not saying that he shouldn't be associated with these people when he says avoid such people. Instead he's saying you should not fall victim to their views because their views is that it's all about them. The people of this world are going to gather other individuals to satisfy their needs, their sinful nature, that this life is all about them. And they're going to accumulate other teachers and other people that they think are smart. And they're going to listen to what they say and be like, all right, this life is all about me. I mentioned last week that we have two dogs at our house. And uh, both miniature dachshunds, one I consider like a hybrid because she's like a, not miniature really, but... Uh, so we have Charlie and Ginger, and there's no doubt in my mind that Charlie's allegiance is to Jamie, uh, because wherever Jamie is in the house, that's where you can find Charlie. Uh, it doesn't matter, like, I'm the one who typically feeds her in the morning, but that's the only time she's, like, showing her allegiance to me. And Ginger, I'd like to think, has allegiance to me, but her allegiance is to napping and just finding a place that's comfortable to lay down. And so if I happen to be laying on the couch, hey, she's all in. But beyond that, 
if I ever want to find Charlie, I just have to find Jamie. And so during this whole time where we you know, stay at home order and social distancing, um, Jamie did a lot of the work in our bedroom, so she had her computer and all that stuff out, and, and so Charlie would be right on her hip. And there'd be times I would come, maybe come home for lunch, and I would go up and just to talk with Jamie, and so I did on the uh, portion of the bed. And it doesn't matter if Charlie was out cold, as soon as I came in the room and just leaned on the portion of the bed, Charlie would be up and popped up, and she'd be all over my face, and she'd roll on her back, and she would expect for me to pet her. And if I didn't, she does this very cute, it's obnoxiously cute thing where she does this with her paws. And if you stop, she does it again. She thinks I'm there for her. She thinks that moment is all about her. And if I, if I don't make it about her, she, it's about me. That's what comes to mind when I hear Paul saying that people are going to have itching ears. I think it's all about them. Everything in this life is about them. They're so conceited. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're lovers of self. It's all about me. It doesn't matter what damage I do to somebody else because it's all about me. It doesn't matter what I disrespect. It's all about me. And I'm going to find other people who are going to agree that it's all about me and they're going to support my opinion. And we see this on both sides of the fence. There's not an innocent person out there. Rick Warren in his book wrote the opening statement, it's not about you. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose, and focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. So we have to fight the temptation. This life is not about us. It is about the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And so though we're in the midst of opposition, in the midst of the battle, we must continue to minister for the kingdom of God. Notice how Paul begins to bring this back to Timothy in verse 5. He says, as for you, saying despite what you see, despite what you experience, despite what you hear all around you, Timothy, you are to be different, and you are to be doing different things. As for you, Timothy, as for you, child of God, be sober-minded. That means to show self-control, to keep a, your head on your shoulders. And why do we have to do that? Why do we have to be sober-minded? Because you will endure suffering. If you've ever been involved in the kingdom of God, then you understand there's suffering in ministry. Ministry is hard because people naturally reject the word that we preach and present. But we can't give up. Timothy is told to do the work in evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now the term evangelist in other spots in Scripture is referred to as a spiritual gift. And there are certain individuals who are gifted with evangelism. They just get in a conversation and all of a sudden you know, they're preaching the word. It's Jesus. There are people that that is just, they are in tune with that. But that is not what this word means here. This word, evan uh, work of an evangelist, is a much broader word. It means that we are a proclaimer of the good news. He says, do the work of a proclaimer of the good news. Preach that word, Timothy. Preach the gospel. As God's children, we are all 
evangelists. We are all proclaimers. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Child of God, did you know the Holy Spirit's inside of you? That power's inside of you? And guess what the Spirit's going to do? You will be my witnesses. It's going to empower you to be a witness to the kingdom. The word witness means that we share about what we've experienced. I share about my meeting of Christ. I share about my maturing in my relationship with God. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. The ministry that God has called all of us to do is to preach the good news to a world in desperate need of meeting Jesus. We do it on the street corners, we do it at work, we do it through ministry of the church, we do it by going to camp, we do it through having activities. Everything we do is for the purpose that people can meet Jesus through our words. That they can have an encounter with Him. And then through that, they can mature in that relationship with God and understand that God is in fact calling them as well into the ministry. All this is so we can multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. An ambassador is one who represents. So he says, we are representatives of Christ. We as a whole. We don't represent Stratford, Missouri. We don't even represent Harvest Hill Baptist Church. We don't represent the state of Missouri. We don't represent a political party. We don't represent even America. We don't even represent a race or an, an economic status or a social status. We represent Christ and Christ alone. And when people see anything other than that, they see a distorted message. It's not just so excited about sports and other things as much as we'd be excited about Christ. He is to have our allegiance. We are His witnesses because we have experienced Him. When I've experienced Christ, my salvation, I've experienced the God who created the heavens and the earth. Just think about that. And think about all the stuff going on in our world. That's what people need. Not another agenda, not another law. They need Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to heal this world. He is the Prince of Peace. And we testify to the world about the risen Jesus with complete patience and accurate teaching or doctrine so they can mature in their relationship, join in the ministry, and multiply. This world needs reform. But it has to begin in terms of repentance. And repentance can only be found when people hear the word of Christ. And that can only be found when God's people are loving God and loving people. Danny Gokey has a song out right now called Love God and Love People. And the chorus says, we're living in a world that keeps breaking. But if we want to find a way to change, it all comes down to this. Love God and love people. Turn to another theologian, John Calvin, wrote that the more determined men become to despise the teaching of Christ, the more zealous should godly ministers be to assert it, and the more strenuous their efforts to preserve it entirely, and more than that, by their diligence to ward off Satan's attacks. You might be here and realizing that, you know what? My heart beat is not as healthy as I thought it was. Maybe you're not maturing. Maybe you're not in the ministry. Maybe you're not multiplying. You just need to come before the Father and repent of that. And just tell Him you're sorry. 
I want to be a part of your plan, God, because it's good, because you're good. But maybe you're here this morning, and you need to be in the presence of Christ. And that only comes by accepting the gospel. The gospel is good news. That's what that word means. And what the good news is, is that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who will judge the living and the dead, as we read in our passage, created you in his image for a relationship with him. The issue we all have is that we have a sin problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a perfect person in this room. But it's our sin that separates us from the image that God has created us to be and the love God has for us. And what we try to do is, well, I'll just start going to church more. I'll start reading my Bible more. I'm going to do that mature thing. I'm going to, we start making up our list, but we can't remove our sin problem. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a gaping hole. That's what God knows about us. So God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, to this earth to live a perfect life that you and I can't, to die on the cross for our sins. They placed Him in the tomb. He rose three days later to know that we can be forgiven for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and be given eternal salvation, which is heaven. The Bible says, when I believe that God loves me that much in my heart. The Bible doesn't say I have to understand it all. It doesn't say I have to get a doctorate in ministry or a doctorate in biblical theology. It just says, it says, I believe that as truth. And then I confess that with my mouth, I will be saved. So you may be here this morning, what you need to do is you need to meet Jesus and begin a relationship with God. I'm going to be down here, we call this time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come and just say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to know what that means. We can talk, we can pray, we can celebrate with the heavens. Maybe you're here this morning and you just know you've been off focus. And so this morning's mo- message is to bring you back into focus. It's not about us. However it is and however God has laid upon your heart, this is time we not only become hearers of His Word, but doers. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up to lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this day and for your Word. Lord, thank you for your Word just revealing what is going on in our world, what we're going to continue to come up against as we preach your word, your gospel, your good news. Lord, help us to endure it. Help us to push through. Help us to do it in a loving way that brings you glory. But I thank you for what you're doing at Harvest Hill. I thank you for just the work you've been doing, the salvations we've been seeing, the people's eternal destinies changed. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not know you, I pray that your spirit just speaks to their heart in a way that only you can. Give them that understanding, that revelation. I thank you for just allowing us to once again be in your presence, to open your word, to have the freedom we have in this country to be able to gather in your name without fear. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. I know you're working through every single event that's going out, the things we understand, the things we don't understand. Father, your divine, sovereign hand is over all things. And we praise you for that. You've always been faithful. Again, thank you for this day. Forgive me if I have failed you or have gotten in your way. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.